Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode one of the Autodidacts podcast. My name is Matt. Hello, everybody, and here is my friend Hutto, who's joining me. Good day, Matt, and thanks for the coffee. <laughs> no worries. Um, so today we're starting on our first book, Hutto, and the, our first book is Sapiens, A Brief History of Humankind by Yuval Noah Harari. Um, now, just a bit of background on, on Harari. He's uh, an Israeli historian and professor in the Department of History at the Hebrew University of Jerusalem. And um, he's burst onto the scene in the last probably five or six years. Um, he's an author of the uh, popular science bestsellers Sapiens, A Brief History of Humankind, which we're going to be talking about today. Uh, Homo Deus, A Brief History of Tomorrow, which we're going to be talking about at a future date. Mm -hmm. And 21 Lessons for the 21st Century is his most recent publication. Um, his writings examine free will, consciousness, intelligence and happiness. A good list. <laughs> so um, we're talking about Chapter 1 today in Sapiens and it's called An Animal of No Significance. Now, what were your thoughts about this chapter, Hutto? Um well, I love the chapter and I love the introduction, but we'll get into that in a minute. I've been thinking about your suggestion of last week as to how we tackled this book. Yep. Um, and I do think on this book, we should indeed adopt your suggestion of just going through it point by point, paragraph by paragraph. Uh, I know that's not my more natural free-flowing style, but there's at least two good reasons why we should follow that with this book. Uh, one is, this is full of gold nuggets. I think if you skip a paragraph here, you're skipping another gold nugget. This book is absolutely packed. Mm. It's only about 350-odd pages, well, 400. Um, but it's gold nuggets all the way. Yep. And so I, I think in this, this case, going through it point by point is, is the way to do it. And um, that does not mean that... Uh, listeners, if we actually get any listeners, should uh, assume that that's the way we cover every book or that they don't need to read it. Yep. But it, it should help. And we'll, we'll develop our own style as we progress oh, into this thing as well. inevitable with us. We are, after all... But I think you summed it up actions. right. Um, this is a, a concisely written book that has wisdom in just about every paragraph. Absolutely. So um, I agree. So let, let's sort of... Well, we don't want to spend hours on each chapter, but let's um, try not to, to miss any of the good bits. And that, that's the other thing, is that he's only given us the gold nuggets here. You know, he's called it a brief history of humankind, yep. and the way he's kept it brief mm. is by chopping out everything that's merely silver or bronze or whatever. <laughs> but there's good value in that. Having a look, bit of a look at some of the stuff he decided to omit yeah. is probably still good value. Maybe we should start reading the bibliography, uh, Hutto. Oh, that's getting <laughs> I always get intimidated by bibliographies and I go, did this, I think, did this guy actually read all this stuff? <laughs> well, in his case, probably yes. Yeah. In my case, the answer is usually no. I... Just pretend that you did it, Pace. I just <laughs> So starting from the very beginning, um, approximately 13 and a half billion years ago was the Big Bang, which was when matter and energy were formed. And we can think of that as the, the birth of the science of physics. Um, three, about 300,000 years later, which is a blink of an eye in cosmic terms, 
there was the formation of atoms and molecules, which is the birth of the, the science of chemistry. Um, 3.8 billion years ago uh, on Earth, there were a formation of organisms and life, um, which we don't know if that exists anywhere else in the universe, but we certainly know it exists here. That was the beginning of biology. And around 70,000 years ago, we homo sapiens started to form cultures and that's the birth of history so that's that's the big picture stuff he covers that on the first page and then we get we we get down to the the nitty-gritty so there's been three important revolutions that have shaped the course of history the first is the cognitive revolution which happened seventy thousand years ago so homo sapiens themselves began around two hundred thousand years ago yeah um but the but the cognitive revolution took place 70,000 years ago. Um, the agricultural revolution took place 12,000 years ago. And the scientific revolution took place about 500 years ago. So Harari defines those three revolutions as the big ones that shaped the course of our history. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Well, two things. First of all, I read page one of this book and I am an author um, and I... I write fiction as well as non-fiction, and I thought this is the best opening to a non-fiction book I have ever read. Really? It absolutely just hit me right wow. here. Yeah. High and, price. And, uh, well, yes, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I've been trying to work out how to make anything half as good for some of mine for quite some time. So yep. it, the guy, he doesn't just write great content and express it well. He writes really, really well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. Um, so I'm not surprised that say. I wonder how it would go if he turned his hand at fiction. Well, I've, I'd be really interested to find out too. Yeah. Um, Maybe you'll do that one day. Be so. Yeah. I hope someday we might get to talk with Yuval Harari, and uh, I'm sure. He'd have a lot to tell us just in the silver and bronze stuff that he cut out. <laughs> um, now, as as to the revolutions, yes, it, interesting. It wasn't until I read this book that I really got my head around. Many of us tend to put history before writing into prehistory. Yeah. He's deliberately pushed that aside and yeah. said, now history starts really when you did to develop culture and then he explains in here very clearly and totally convincingly to me why we have to look at it that way and the other thing i hadn't really got my head around until he put it that clearly was homo sapiens may have appeared on the scene 200,000 years ago but really it all began 70,000 years ago yep it's interesting looking at how that came about Okay, so hominids uh, first appeared approximately two and a half million years ago. Um, there was nothing particularly special about them when compared to other animals. And, and, and by that, we mean that they didn't impact their environment in any great way. They weren't particularly noticeable. Uh, they had no more impact on the environment than other animals, such as gorillas, fireflies, and jellyfish. So biologists classify animals into species definition of a species is if two animals can mate and lead to fertile offspring. So horses are a species, dogs are a species, homo sapiens is a species. Now horses and donkeys can mate and they can produce offspring, 
but and the offspring is a mule, but that offspring is not fertile. So horses and donkeys are not considered to be part of the same species. They are considered to be part of the same genus. Okay. So uh, genuses are basically a, a group of species, a related group of species with a common ancestor. So lions, tigers, leopards, jaguars all belong to the genus Panthera. Mm-hmm. So when we refer to ourselves, Homo sapiens, uh, we're referring to our genus, which is Homo or hominid, uh, which means man. Yeah. And our species, sapiens, which we've modestly uh, called ourselves, which means wise. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that then implies Human. if hominid refers to our genus, that, refer- that means that other, other species of the same genus, of which all are extinct, are actually humans as well. What's your thoughts on that, Hutto? Well, I'd take some exception to that. I'd be happy to include them perhaps as mankind, but since reading this book and putting it together with some other stuff I've come across, which we'll talk about in a bit, I'm more inclined to keep the label human to refer not just to Homo sapiens, but actually only to Homo sapiens since we went through the cognitive revolution. That, that is the way we use it, because at the end of the day, we're the only members of the human, human genus that are still around. That's so in practical terms, they're, they're really the same thing. Um, but in biological terms, uh, you're redef- redefining it. Too. I am redefining it, and I'm not redefining it quite on the basis of species either. I'm talking about it in terms of when we got the specific package of genes together, which, to my mind, makes us human in the term that we use that word. Yeah. And I'll talk about what that is. And so I'm saying that even early Homo sapiens were indeed, as he says here, an animal of no significance. Change with the Cultural Revolution, which is, I believe... The Cognitive the Revolution. The Cognitive Revolution, which is, I believe... Tied into biology, it is tied into our package of genes. Um, I thought you were saying that Mousy Tung uh, changed it all in 1976 with the Cultural Revolution. Uh, well, <laughs> indeed so. And, uh, Maybe I'm, for some. I'm sure Kim Jong Un is probably saying the Well, I hope we don't offend our North Korean listeners. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I live in great fear of that. <laughs> yeah. Um, there, there is perhaps another point we should look at here too with as he's going through genes and species that this is another example of where he's just gone for the gold and left out a lot of the complex stuff which runs around it because yeah. you do have things like ring species for example right um, now it turns out for example with homo sapiens and neanderthals yes that Although Homo sapiens came in 200,000 years ago, had no trouble crossbreeding with Neanderthals, except Neanderthals were further north at that stage. Yep. Um, by the time we get to 60,000 years ago, after the Cognitive Revolution, and Homo sapiens have broken out of Africa and our Neanderthals in Europe and Denisovians and others around the place, um, it turns out at that stage that only partial interbreeding was possible. Apparently a Neanderthal male could mate with a human female and produce viable offspring. Yep. Um, but the other way around, a human male could not mate with a Neanderthal female and have a produce who was able to produce. So at that stage we were not into full, fully fertile cross-production 
Yeah, it's so. interesting when you get down the biological definitions. So, so does that make us a member of the same species or not? I suppose not, because there's not full fertility at, with at offspring. That state, that's right. Yeah. But, you know, 80,000 years before that, yeah, it's yeah. probably quite viable. So one of the things you have to remember about biological definitions is they all happen in retrospect. Mm. You know, when that first ape produced two daughters, one of whom became the mother of all hominids and yep. the other became the mother of all chimpanzees. Yeah. But nobody knew that at the time. At the time they could happily crossbreed with all their uncles and cousins and mm. brothers and sisters and everything else. Um, because otherwise there would have been no chimpanzees or hominids. Yep. Um, so yeah, it, it's it's a case of seeing what survived and then you sort of look back in retrospect and say, Oh, we better classify that as a separate species or genus or something. Yeah. yeah. Um the other, other thing quickly worth mentioning is that um, members of a similar genus uh, can also belong to a higher grouping called a family. So, so Homo sapiens are members of the great apes family. So that includes gorillas and chimps and all the rest of it. So up until we've already sort of talked about this, but up until 10,000 years ago, we actually had... So we've got our cousins in the apes, but up until 10,000 years ago, which is not very long ago, no. We had brothers and sisters. We had other members, other hominids, other members of the, the human species as it's biologically de defined, yeah. although you probably don't want to use that term. Uh, I think that's really interesting. Yeah, it, it is. Um, and, you know, yeah, I'd, I'm perfectly happy using the term mankind. And, yeah, there were a whole bunch of... So it was almost after, after Homo sapiens had discovered agriculture, there yeah. might have been, still been some other, other hominids on the, on the globe, which yeah. is, yeah. I think, a bit extraordinary. So uh, hominids evolved in East Africa uh, from an earlier genus of apes called Australopithecus, uh, which meant southern ape. And I know that because I'm Australian and I know that uh, Australia stands for, stands, Austral stands for south. About 2 million years ago, there was a lot of migration through North Africa, Europe and Asia, and human populations evolved into several distinct species. So we had Homo... Neanderthalensis in Europe, or commonly referred to as the Neanderthals, Homo erectus in East Asia, Homo soloensis in Java, and also Homo florosiensis was in the Indonesian islands, and Homo denisovan in Siberia. Uh, and a lot of these uh, species or, or remains of these species have been discovered in the last, you know, Certainly in the last century, a lot of it in the last 25 years. So then the question remains, how many more uh, brothers and sisters are going to be discovered in the future? Yeah, absolutely. And um, we don't know what may be going on in the hybrids. I mean, it's all very well to discover a skeleton and uh, work it out, do the, run the genetics on it and say, oh, look, this, this is a separate species. But at one stage it wasn't. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. The whole history of how hominids and subsequently Homo sapiens spread out throughout the world uh, is a very interesting story. I've been following it since about 2001. Right. And, uh, you know, Wikipedia keeps changing every few years. Yeah, weeks, has, so, so a lot of new information has come to light in that 20 yeah. years. Yeah. 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 Uh, you know, we, we tend to think of history as something that's fixed. Yeah. Um, but actually, particularly in this area, it's been changing significantly. Um, it's the popular science is yeah, no, no, it's categorised. It's a history book. It is, but It's yeah. also a science book. It is. And that's, that's an interesting... Yeah. Because history is not an ology in the yeah. usual scientific sense. Yeah, 
Yeah. Um, so meanwhile, back in East Africa, um, there were a few other species, Homo rudolfensis, Homo augusta, and eventually Homo sapiens. Um, these were all human beings, i.e. belonged to the genus Homo. Yep. So the Earth 100,000 years ago had at least six species of humans on it, and our current exclusivity is very peculiar in history. So there are several characteristics that hominids have in common. First and probably foremost is our very large brains. Um, they're actually quite rare in the animal kingdom to have a large brain. Yep. And the reason that is, is because it's usually an evolutionary disadvantage, which begs the question, you know, why did we evolve large brains? And I don't think we really know the answer to that, but I, for one, am glad that we did. <laughs> well, you're right. I, we don't know why we developed large brains. We don't even know how we developed a large brain. It, it looks as if human be, humanity and before that the hominids went through some process of neoteny, which is an extension of, of childhood. Um, so it looks like some gene flipped and we had a very extended childhood, which had a number of things. One is the brain to keep growing, and it sort of made a baby. And, of course, hominid babies are, are remarkably helpless when they're born. Yeah. Um, most you know, horses can run within the first day, even within the first few hours. And, uh, but for hominids, you have to look after this baby for six months before it can even turn yeah before it even can lift its head up yeah absolutely yeah so it, it's this big headedness is is a major disadvantage so we don't know how we came by a bigger brain and we also don't understand the why we came by a bigger brain and it's not it's not that it hasn't happened before because it's an evolutionary disadvantage but all things have their pros and cons, yeah. and this certainly has its costs yes. and its benefits. But unless the benefits outweigh the costs, then it's... An and it depends on circumstances and environment as well. In our case, the benefits did outweigh the costs, but, you know, for other, a lot of other animals, they didn't. Um, it's not clear what the benefits are. We'll talk about that quite a lot. Mm. But it is also interesting that in the sea, the cetaceans, of course, did develop a big brain as well. Mm. Um, and you and one can understand. So cetaceans, you're talking about dolphins and whales. Dol and so dolphins forth. and whales. Now, did they, did they come onto the land at one stage and then go back to the sea? That is correct, yeah, yes. Okay. Um, but they didn't develop their big brains on land, as far as we can tell. It, it they did it in the sea? Yeah. All right. um, now, you can expect that something the size of a whale might have a big brain, but the dolphins very clearly developed the brain, um, and it's proven to be useful and an advantage for them and it's obviously got nothing to do with walking on two feet or uh, um, mm. doing clever things with their okay. opposable thumbs. That's interesting. So some of the costs that we talked about, essentially a brain is a big drain on resources, on mm. energy, calories. So um, the human brain consumes around 25% of the body's energy when, it, when the body's at rest, whereas in other apes it only takes about 8%. Yeah, no. So there's a couple of, there's a, that's paid for in two ways. Um, we spend more time searching for food yeah. and we have muscular atrophy. So we are the least strong of the great apes as far as I'm aware. I don't want to take on a, a chimp or a gorilla in a fight anytime soon. Absolutely not. I saw a lovely answer on Cora with um, a photo and it showed a supreme human 
gymnast doing his thing on the rings. You know, he got muscles bulging, bulging off him anywhere. Mm. And then uh, they showed a picture of a three-month-old chimp, I think it was, hanging by one arm while yeah. scratching his feet with the other. Yeah. <laughs> As the easiest thing in the world. Yeah. Chimps can do one-armed pull-ups from about three months old. <laughs> I'm yet to do one of those ever. <laughs> Ruddy hard to do. <laughs> I won't even pretend I can do it. It's not even on my, yeah. my back. I saw another question on Cora. Who would win in a fight? Five Navy SEALs or a gorilla? <laughs> and I'm like, when you think about it like that, I mean, I wouldn't want to be one of those five Navy SEALs. No, you, I mean, a trained human martial artist has achieved remarkable things. But, yeah. you know, we're talking the elite of the elite who spent a lifetime training for this yeah, stuff. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, if he's lucky, he can beat up a, a one-year-old chimp. Yeah. So if, if we want to get really strong, we need to dumb ourselves down and only use 8% of our energy for our brain. Well, it, it's, it's as he says, costs to yeah. this great brain thing. So yeah. Exactly yeah. what good is a brain? Yeah. So another correct characteristic that we share in common with other hominids is that we walk upright on two legs. Mm. Um, so that frees up the hands to perform intricate tasks such as making tools, which is one of the really important things that happen to us in our, in our development. Mm -hmm. um, there is a downside though. We get back pain and I, for one, suffer from this. Yep. Uh, I think every human at some point gets some lower back pain. Um, you can get stiff necks. I'm not a woman, but one of the huge costs is that we have narrower hips for walking upright, which means childbirth is a painful and traumatic experience yep. um, and leads to a lot of early death. Um, the other thing is that it, what you were referring to earlier, it, it, human babies are born premature, essentially, yeah. so that when they come out, they're almost still a fetus. They can't really do anything. So we have that long period of infant, infant dependence, which then leads to things like socialization. Um, you know, when it, takes a, it takes a village to raise a child. The demands on raising a human being over 20 years are mm. massive. And it was true for most of the hominids too. Um, I imagine in the old days, it was probably until about the age of 12, and then you were probably reasonably self-sufficient. I don't know. That's a total guess. Well, I think most of us would recognise that uh, what was it, Lord, Lord of the uh, Lord of the Flies? Lord of the Flies. Yeah, you know, human beings at age twelve. We actually reach full maturity. An adult male reaches full brain maturity at age twenty-seven. Twenty-seven. Yeah. And about a year after that, you get your first grey hairs and start <laughs> start deteriorating. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. And. Um, the other thing we have which ties in with what we were just talking about is complex social structures. Just raising a human is, is one thing, but this, you're absolutely right in saying we're born prematurely. The reason we're born at all after just nine months is that if the head gets any bigger, birth is not going to be possible through the birthing canal. Yep. Um, but as far so it's our birth of nine months is really a compromise between maximizing growth of the brain mm. and making it possible to be born at all. Yeah. Uh, the baby would like to stay in there for about another year or so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mum's not keen on the idea. <laughs> a human being is born, its brain is 25% of its full adult size. 
its body is 2% of its full adult size. Okay. Now, you know, you compare that with, you know, your, your foal who can mm. get up and run and yeah. three hours after it's born or something. It's just a huge, huge difference. Yeah, yeah. So in terms of complex social structures, early humans were primarily uh, scavengers, not hunters of large game. Mm. Um, and the earliest tools were basically used to extract marrow from bones. And the, the, so clearly a lot of marrow was eaten, although I'm sure we would have preferred to have been eating steaks. But we were, we were low down in the food chain. So the lions would, would uh, kill the game and eat all the good stuff. Then the hyenas and stuff would come in and all of that. And by the time the humans could have their go, there was only bones left. Now, we were fighting the vultures. Yeah. So they think the earliest tools were used for extracting marrow out of bones. Uh, we only started to hunt large game on a regular basis about 400,000 years ago. Which, when you think, you know, that we've been around for nearly 2 million years, yeah. um, that's, that's pretty late in the And game. that's a huge leap in itself, because that would have enabled more calories and more oh. brain growth and so forth. Absolutely. The early days were were a major struggle for survival. Mm. Yeah, yeah, we'd become this ape with a large brain that walked on two legs, but we were we were not just an animal of no great significance. We were a very marginal creature at that yeah. stage too. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we jumped to the top of the food chain in the last 100,000 years. I would suspect that we jumped to the top of the food chain with the cognitive revolution. Yep. Um, now, Homo sapiens arrived, well, it depends. Sometimes, some people say 100,000 years, years ago, some say 200,000 years ago. I've, so, I've, so, yeah. so Harari is arguing that with the arrival of Homo sapiens, we jumped to the, uh, the top of the food chain. But, yeah, I'm not seeing that. The earliest date I've seen for Homo sapiens is 240,000 years ago. Yeah. And yes, there are later dates than that. It's, um, and just... To some extent, there's a definitional question, but they're going back to the African Eve and using genetics here yeah. and dating that. Yep. Um, but you know, an animal of no great significance continues to apply. When we appeared in Africa, we were just another animal of no great significance. I don't think we leapt to the top of anything very much. Now, okay. There were a couple of major advances which have happened in terms of um, fire and cooking, etc., which we'll talk about in a minute. Yep. Um, and we got this as our birthright, but we weren't doing anything special with them either. Yeah. So, yes, we got as far... The hominids had got as far as taming fire and making a few tools. Yep. Um, and were gradually perhaps working their way up the food chain, yep. but we're still a long way short of being an alpha. So regardless of when it happened... We, we suddenly, whenever it happened, we fairly quickly jumped to the top of the food chain yep. from somewhere in the, around yep. the middle. Yep. Now, what we've done is we've taken all our fears and anxieties and nastiness yep. from a middle of the food chain animal and become the supreme top of the food chain animal. And that's led to all sorts of problems since humanity's yep. been and around. It, it's interesting looking at our instincts. For instance, um, a hunting creature is looking to distinguish so it's got this whole flock of birds or animals, zebras, whatever it may be, in front of it, and it's got to decide which one they're going to chase. Yeah. Um, so it's looking for the slightest distinction between them. We clearly have that, that ability. We do it with cartoons all the time. You know, we take a bunch of people and we extend, you know, that one's got a longer nose, that one's got a bald head, that one's, you know, so and we're 
exaggerating the differences and noticing them. Okay. The herd animal is the exact opposite. The herd animal is trying to look exactly like every other member of the herd. Yeah. Protection for the zebra is looking like every other zebra. Yeah. And there's been some interesting studies done on that. And we quite clearly also have that characteristic too. We all know what it is when the school bully or the teacher's looking for someone to pick on. And we all try to look just as unnoticeable <laughs> as everybody else. So we've got both. We've got the, the herd don't want to be noticed thing as well as the apex predator spot the difference. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. Um, so domestication of fire was huge uh, in our development. Now, they reckon it, it might have first happened around 800,000 years ago. Um, I've seen, again, I've seen 1.2 as the earliest date. 1.2. And I don't doubt that Yuval Harari does his research. So yeah. at the time he published this, this was probably the best information. And this is continually all. updating some of oh, these dates absolutely. as well. Yeah. But uh, it, took us, it took us half a million years to basically use it on a daily basis. So we started using it and we had it mastered about 300,000 years ago. Um, main uses, it's used as a source of light, warmth, and it can also be used as a weapon. Um, but the number one use, the best use, was cooking. Cooking allowed humans to digest foods that they previously could not, such as wheats, rice, and potatoes. Yep. It killed germs and parasites. Yep. And it made chewing and digesting easier. So that then allowed us to evolve smaller teeth and shorter intestines. Now, apparently intestines are huge energy uh, energy users, if you like. So the fact that we could shorten our intestine freed up some energy to then develop our brains even more. Yep. So in my little mind, I, I often think that cooking might have been completely uh, huge in terms of, of why our brains became bigger. I think uh, it was very important because you have to remember by the time we get to the Neanderthals, they actually had a bigger brain than Homo sapiens. Yeah. Um, now, you know, the energy consumption is pretty much the same. It's yeah. It's, they had bigger bodies as well. They did. Yeah. So, uh, I, what do they have? About a ten percent larger brain than us. Uh, I've seen figures yeah. like that. Yeah. yeah, and and they probably had a ten twenty percent larger body as well. The availability of nutrition is absolutely critical, and the, there's been studies done lately suggesting that uh, it's also critical to puberty. That we reach puberty just as soon as we can get enough calories available to make within reason i mean you couldn't like just eat 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 eat, eat and then hit your puberty at, at six could you uh well they've got puberty down to as early as nine and okay. astonishing so so it's not so much a, an age-driven thing as a energy-driven thing calorie that's, driven that's thing. what they're saying okay. yes they're trying to explain it in those terms as saying that okay. we're hitting puberty earlier whenever the resources are there to do it so. okay so getting up to 70,000, so by 150,000 years ago, sapiens were running around East Africa, and there were quite a lot of them. Mm. Uh, and in about 70,000 years ago, sapiens started to spread out of Africa. Yeah, it, it's not quite a starting to. Something happened, the light bulb switched on. Yeah. And for that point, which is the point at which I think we became fully human, we just exploded. Yeah. Um, you know, Okay, so the question then becomes what happened to our brothers and sisters, the other humans? And there are a couple of theories. One is the interbreeding theory, mm -hmm. so that we're basically an amalgam of, of like, we're, we're from, we've got Euro European ancestry, so yep. we're a, an amalgam of uh, Homo sapiens and Neanderthals. But then there's another sort of scarier uh, 
theory, which is a replacement theory, which is basically we killed them all or outcompeted them for resources is another way to put that, which is a, bit, a little bit less nasty. Um, in 2010, um, the Neanderthal genome was published and the results were quite stunning because it turns out that 1% to 4% of unique human DNA in modern humans in the Middle East and Europe is Neanderthal DNA. Yeah. So clearly some interbreeding took place, and that was a, a bit of a shock for everybody, it, I think. It was a major And in, Melan in, Mel uh, in Melanesians and Aboriginal Australians, up to 6% of the unique human DNA is Denisovan DNA. Yeah. So um, what are your thoughts on, on, on how we, on why, they, why we, our brothers and sisters are now gone, Hello. Well, Harari does a bit more talking later about what happened to the the larger animals around as well. And basically, outside of Africa, the arrival of Homo sapiens was pretty much a death knell. Yep. Um, and I think for the large part, that also applied to any competitive species of hominids. We are not a tolerant species. No. Um, and that ties in with what we were saying before. I, I think... We were born, yeah. We were, we evolved to be in the middle of the food chain. Yeah. It, all of a sudden, we, it's like we're too powerful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We we have we've become very powerful, but we've never really worked out entirely how to handle this. And we we are, you know, bonobos are a very tolerant species. Um, to we uh, all group cooperative primates benefit they have to work for the success of the group and they have to work their own corner within the group as it were yeah and then who is us and who is them mm. we are very good at distinguishing us from them in yeah. every situation yeah but we are not very good at tolerating them yeah um and i think uh, the neanderthals got too much classified as them i mean when you think about it all of the Neanderthal DNA came through a male Neanderthal having it off with a female Homo sapien. Yes. Now, how would you expect male Homo sapiens to respond to that? <laughs> I, I don't think the Neanderthals had a chance. The way I have it, the way I think about it is, let's say you're fighting a war. What tended to happen in wars is that men would get killed and the, and the women would get raped, right? Yeah. And I would imagine that the Homo sapiens won most of the wars, right? Because they were able to um, yeah. cooperate in large yeah. numbers. So, but their DNA wasn't passed in through the Neanderthal uh, race. Correct. Or species, or, uh, yeah, species, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, whereas, so if the Neanderthals won one out of ten battles and raped some human women, it's interesting. It their is, their yeah. DNA, in a sense, has not been more successful than ours, but it was more successfully implanted into ours than ours was in theirs, I'm well, thinking. Well, in, in one sense, that's absolutely right, yeah. Um, in another sense, you could say, yeah, but that's why they only got to 4%. Um, yeah, because only won one in 25 battles. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, the other thing we... This is a little speculation, of course. Yeah. Uh, it's now probably a time to have a little look at what it is that this brain size actually does. Yep. Because clearly the first hominids had a brain perhaps only 25% as large as ours, yeah. so about equivalent to what a baby has. Yes. 
Um, and yet, over a period of a couple of million years, brain size clearly did increase yep. until you ended up with the, the Neanderthals, who actually had the largest brain cavity that we know of. Because yep. um, we've only found the genetics of a Denisovian, we don't really have full, complete skeletons or stuff like that. Yep. Um, but, you know, so what's, what's this brain size thing doing? And this is one of the great mysteries because human females all have a smaller brain cavity on average than the human male, but we haven't found out that it makes human males any more intelligent. Mm. We do know that animals in captivity in zoos have less dense brains. The dendrites, the connections between the neurons, etc., are less developed. Mm. What makes for intelligence is has a lot to do with how densely the brain is packed, how many neuron connections you've got and stuff like that. Mm. Uh, Homo sapiens and Neanderthals were both kicking around in 200,000 years ago, and none of them were really going anywhere. You know, they've mastered fire, they're cooking their food, they're making tools, but they're not really taking over the world. Yeah. And you know, they're still confined to the old world and stuff like mm. this. Mm. And then all of a sudden you get this this change where Homo sapiens suddenly lights up, bursts out of Africa, mm. spreads around the world, replaces all the other species, and within less than 30,000 years has got all the way to Australia, which involved sailing over the ocean. You know, yeah. Homo floriensis has got stuck on a little island down in... Uh, in the Indonesian archipelago, Homo sapiens, once we lit up... Yeah, so it really was an explosion, a, a revolution. It was worth having a look at that, because it's obviously not just about brain size. Uh, there's okay. a lot more to it. We No indication that our brain size has got any more. What happened, tying this in with another documentary I saw, was about a gene which we picked up which none of the other hominid species did. Right. And what that gene did was really interesting because it gave us rhythm. It may have given us a number of other things too. But when well, mate, I don't think it gave me rhythm. <laughs> well, you're being unkind to yourself because compared to any other species around, you've got rhythm, man. Because none of the others have. Um, simple things like... Can follow that you right of course you can yeah you can do it you can move to it you can dance to it you can chant it you can haul to it you can do C you forgive me if i don't do all those things well right uh, whatever um, the point is no other species can do that and it would seem that no other hominid species could do that too mm. this now the thing first of all that simple ability to do that gives you rhythm mm. and music consists of two things it consists of pitch and tone and it consists of beat rhythm. Mm. Um, so we are, in fact, the only species that makes music. Yeah, the birds all sing and chortle away and stuff like that. But we've, we were the ones who introduced the whole idea of meter to music. Comes a bunch of things. One is it, it lights us up socially. You know, you can put 150,000 people together in a uh, listening to U2 or whatever it may be, yeah. and you know, the beat comes on, and the whole arena moves together as one socially that's an incredibly powerful thing mm. 
In terms of what's happening in the brain, they've done scans of the brain to see what areas light up when people are doing music, and it lights up more areas of the brain than anything you can think of. It really, music does? Yeah, absolutely. About, My understanding is meditation uh, can light up the brain yes, a lot as well. Yes, that's the other thing yeah. which is, is a great connector. Yeah. Um, oh, Connects the two hemispheres. Yeah. And for instance, they found with um, Alzheimer's victims, you can have an... 84-year-old lady who's really totally gaga, can't remember pretty much anything, including a name. And then you play them a little song from the nursery days, you know. Mary had a little lamb, little lamb. And I think I picked that. Would that, would that be, would, would that then imply that language itself is based on rhythm? And the reason I say that is because there's stories of, of, of um, people that emigrate to, immigrate to another country. Right. Then they get senile in their older age and they can't talk to anyone anymore because they, they can't remember yep. their second language, yep. but they still know their first Correct. language. Correct, yes, yeah. absolutely. The things we're now discovering, because you know, your senile lady at 84 suddenly picks up immediately on the Mary Had a Little Lamb thing yeah. and starts to finish the verse. Yeah. Have remembered anything for 80, well, the last 80 years, is learned. Repeating something she knew. And they, they say, oh, my memory's not great, but I'm not going senile, but they, sometimes when people start to lose their memory, they say, oh, I can remember stuff that happened 30 years ago, yeah. but I can't remember what happened last yeah. week. Yeah. So it's almost like the more ingrained neural pathways have more power over time. Well, and beat has a way of, or, or rhythm, as you said, sorry, yeah. has a way of, of ingraining uh, pathways. Correct. And it, it, that, so it's connected the brain in a whole different bunch of ways and from that I think it also gave us the much more nuanced language yep. and included in that not just more nuanced language it also gave us storytelling yep. um, we were able to come up with this whole mythos thing we're able to imagine all sorts of things mm. and he talks a lot more about that and he's absolutely right the cognitive revolution came about I believe from this one gene mm. and I've got I've got a problem with this, as you know, I'm extremely sceptical. And the idea that this was just blind evolutionary chance bothers me. Yeah. This is such an amazingly useful gene to have just suddenly appeared and joined up all our brain. And, you know, basically it was like having a box of fireworks sitting there and it did nothing much until you lit them. Put the, match to it. Yeah, put the match to it. Yeah. This this gave us the match. Yeah, and we, it'll talk a little about what that match then did to us. So, um, I just want to finish with a couple more facts that I need to get through, and then we'll, we'll wind it yeah, up because yeah. we've got a lot more, many more chapters we to cover, Hunter. Yeah, we if I let you keep talking, you'll go for another three hours. <laughs> you know me too well. I quickly want to run through when our when our brothers and sisters became extinct. So, Homo soloensis became extinct about fifty thousand years ago the Denisovans shortly thereafter, the Neanderthals 30,000 years ago, which as an Australian I find amazing because um, Homo sapiens has been in Australia for somewhere between 40 and 60,000 years. Right. So when the first Australians came here, there were Neanderthals running around Europe. Crazy. Yeah. And, and you know, the cognitive revolution starts and in less than 10,000 years or maximum 30,000 years, yeah, they're all not gone. only got out of Africa. Yeah, you're actually looking at those numbers. They all became extinct since the last 70,000 oh, years. But, yeah. you know, we came out of Africa and within 30,000 years, we've got to Australia, which no other human has done. 
You know, yeah. This is an yeah. amazing thing. And the last one to die out was Homo floresiensis, uh, which was 12,000 years ago. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, people were growing wheat crops probably in the Middle East at that stage. Quite possibly so. Extraordinary. Yeah. Um, so I've got a, got a couple of unanswerable questions for you to oh, finish off with. <laughs> what do you think, if some of these species other species, other hominid species still live today. How do, you, how do you think it would go down? How do you think we'd treat them? Would you sit next to one on the bus? Would we be fighting wars with them? Would, be, would we be marrying them? What do you, how do you think it would go down? Uh, we don't tolerate difference well. I mean, we, we can get bad if he's got the different skin colour. Yeah, different even within our own life. species. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, we, we are not tolerant. We... I think we would regard them as a bit dumb. They can't do rhythm man. They don't do... Their language skills are pretty poor, you know. And I think we'd, uh, we'd give them a hard time and ultimately they, they would not survive. I would, yeah, and we'd struggle with them one-on-one, but yeah. uh, we'd, we'd, I think we'd probably win eventually. Um, so do you think of Homo sapiens as somehow separated from the rest of the animal kingdom and, and the pinnacle of creation, if you like, or do you think of them as just another branch of the animal kingdom that just happens to be more intelligent and more successful, in a sense, than, than other animals? That's a very good question, which we could probably cover in other books as well. Um, I do see, first of all, the hominids had some clear differences, you know, bipedal walking, the opposable thumb, the ability to make tools, fire, um, clothing, of course. You know, it seems that possibly as part of the neoteny process, we came out with this hairless body. Yeah. And uh, that means we have to wear clothes, certainly, if it gets... And to be able to make clothes, you need very uh, finely tuned, dexterous skills to sew and so forth. The hominids clearly had a whole bunch of differences, but... It's not clear that they were amounting to all that much. We are still, as you say, a, a creature of, of no great no significance. significance. Yeah. Um, in terms both of their impact on the environment, their impact on other creatures, if the hominid line had gone extinct 100,000 years ago, including Homo sapiens, we just have said, well, that was another specialisation which didn't work out in the long run. Yeah, yeah. Um, Including Homo sapiens. Yeah. It was only when we lit up our brain. Mm. I, I personally think that we've just become so arrogant that we, you know, we somehow think that we're above you know, the rest of the animal kingdom and the planet, in a sense. And uh, I really like the... the you know, I, I'd never thought about it until I read this book, but the fact that we started off in the middle of the food chain and became top of the food chain, and yeah. emotionally, biologically... In our core, it's almost like we're not ready for it. Yeah, yeah, I think that's... And, and, and we can be a scary, scary creature. I think one of the driving behavioural characteristics of human beings is that homo sapien males are driven by insecurity. Yeah. Um, that's not really a topic for this book, but it's, um, it's one which I expand on elsewhere in okay. some of my own writing. Um, however, I didn't finish answering your question... Hominids, yes, had a whole bunch of distinctive characteristics, but in themselves, they really didn't amount to all that much. Yep. Homo sapiens post-cognitive revolution, yeah, I think we are a significantly different creature, and we are clearly above and different to all other human, all other creatures in terms of um, 
in terms of art, in terms of stories, in terms of architecture, in terms of music and dance, in terms of mathematics. Yeah, so in terms of culture, yeah, in for terms sure. Of, I think when we talk about being human, we really mean in terms of culture. Mm. We study other things. I mean, yeah, we buddy landed on the moon. That's mm. so different. And this book is about how we differ. Up until that point, everything was driven by genetics. Yeah. Um, behavior. Yeah, the environment uh, determined the genetic outcome. Correct. Yeah. But we actually, well, we don't control the environment, but we go a long way towards controlling we it. We do now. But the yeah. other thing was, you know, it used to be if you wanted to see a change in behaviour, there was either going to have to be a change in environmental circumstances or a change in genetics. Yeah. And we started inventing culture and, hey, we can have 200 different behaviours. We are enormously versatile yeah. and because, because of this. So, yes, we are, if you like, a godlike creature. I mean, no other creature runs around wearing clothes, has fashion, has art, builds things, goes to the moon... Need tell stories, all this sort of stuff is yeah. totally different, yeah. and and we classify it as godlike. We are also, yes, a hugely conceited creature. Yes, um, you know, we call ourselves the wise hominids. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Look, I, look, I'm obviously not going to disagree with you that we're that we're different, but I also think the 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 arrogance, the the conceit is is a problem. Yeah, and I no. think we're too far down that road in climb. The other thing is, different is one thing. Um, we have, to an extent, godlike potential. Well, we've still got a whole bunch of flaws. Yeah. But that's not the same thing as being better. Yeah. Better depends on your goals. Yep. You know, are we better at making music than any other creature? Yeah. Are we better at art? Yeah. Are we better at literature? Yeah. Are we better at building civilizations? Mm. You know, but, yes, we're, yes. but we're worse at a lot of things but as well. Absolutely. Are we worse at Destroying other creatures, yes, absolutely. We're causing oh, yeah, but, or we're better at destroying other well, creatures, that's, that's but I'm we're saying. worse at running than yeah, a lot absolutely. of creatures. We're, oh. we're worse at flying than birds. Oh. You know, like we're not superior in a lot of ways. Correct. Uh, we use culturally that. for yeah. sure. Are we better at making war than any other creature? Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, other creatures we, probably. Are go we to war. better at destroying? Destroying the planet. Them? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, we're better at a whole bunch of things, but. That doesn't necessarily make us a better creature. Yeah. Um, that's, a, that's a value, moral, moral argument. Well, we'll discuss that at length in future episodes, no doubt. I look forward to that. So much. let's wind it up there. Thanks for your time. Elbow bump. Elbow in, bump in COVID, times. COVID times. And I'll see you on the other side. Indeed. All yes, right. With another cup of coffee. <laughs> see you, mate. Yay! <laughs> <laughs>